0: Today I want to talk about freedom and forgiveness. Freedom in forgiveness. The first message I preached on freedom was freedom under authority. And if you have not uh, heard that message, you'll want to go and definitely listen to that one. It's a great one. It's one that's very timely for our day and what we're living in. Freedom under authority. Last week I talked about discerning the supernatural. And uh, we'll use the passage out of Acts chapter 8 where there was a man named uh, uh, Simon, and he was pulling from sorcery. He was a sorcerer, and he was pulling from the demonic realm, and he was actually doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And then Philip came to town, and he was preaching Jesus, and the miracles increased. They came to the level. In fact, Simon left his power that he was tapping on before, and he went to follow Jesus. And so we begin to understand that there was miracles happening before the gospel was being preached. Now, we need to discern which source. We need to stay away from some and obviously embrace the other. So that was a powerful message. If you missed that, you want to go back online and, and uh, recapture that because it gives you some principles of how to discern the, uh, what, where the supernatural is coming from. And we need that today. I tell you what, we're in a day where the supernatural is out on the streets. It's not, it's not something hidden anymore in some back room, low-level room full of candles. It's it's out in the streets, and so we need to be able to discern what is what is the source, and be able to um, then uh, respond appropriately. Today is about freedom, and boy, I tell you what, this this impacts us all. You don't have to go very far until uh, if you if you want to pursue Jesus and pursue Christianity, you don't go very far before you bump into forgiveness. I mean, that is so core in understanding what it means to have a relationship with God. First of all, we need to know that we need to be forgiven. And if we don't understand that to that level, then we're not going to walk very far. It'll just be a, maybe a, a better life or a, a, good, a, a good way to live or, or a different way to think. But when you truly understand the level of forgiveness, then what will happen is your life will be changed. And as we'll talk today, you'll be able to give that away to others. And one of the big things I'm going to be hitting on today is the fact of knowing that we've been forgiven so we can pass that forgiveness along to others. But oftentimes we get stopped in the process. Many of us don't have a a problem of asking God to forgive us. That's generally not the, the angle that we struggle with. The big deal for us is that when we're asked by God to forgive others, and particularly those close to us, like a spouse or a child or a good friend, when they do, do something that's, that's uh, outside of maybe what God has for them or harmed us in some way, and suddenly God says, I want you to forgive, we go, no. There's something inside of us that rises up, and yet we were created as as in the image of God to want justice to be served. That's what we were created. There's something that rises up when a, when a wrong is done we believe it should be righted. It should be made right. The person should be punished for what they've done wrong. That's within us, and so that is in the image of God as well, that God's character and nature. But uh, oftentimes our flesh just d- puts up a fight to actually forgive. Here's some of the things that I thought about that our flesh does. You don't know how much they hurt me. Therefore, I'm not going to Forgive. They probably will hurt me again in the future. Therefore, I'm not going to forgive. Who will bring justice to them if I don't? Therefore, I'm not going to forgive. Who will hold them accountable for what they did? That goes through our mind as well. And how do I keep a boundary in place if I were to forgive them? All of those are valid thoughts that we have when we're faced with forgiving someone that has really hurt us in a significant way or hurt somebody we love. All of those, uh, maybe not all of those that you've encountered, but probably one or two of them that you have hit. So we're going to just open up here by defining forgiveness. What actually does forgiveness mean? And if you're a simple person, kind of like I am, it's three words, to let go. That's what it means, simply, literally, to let go. So if you want to just boil it down to three words, that's it. To let go. Now I want to just kind of broaden that a little bit or, or maybe look at three aspects of the word forgiveness that is actually drawn from three different Greek words that are used that are translated into English, forgive. The first one is this, to show unconditional favor towards. Unconditional favor towards. No strings attached. So that's a part of the definition of forgiveness. 1 John 2.12 says this, For I'm writing you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Isn't that great news? Your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Unconditional forgiveness. You committed that, I forgive you, you can walk free. The second aspect about defining forgiveness is to remove permanently that's the key word, permanently, an intention or an, adi- or an action. To remove permanently. That means let it go. Somebody harmed you in some way. If you truly forgive, you, you say, I release you from any expectation of that. I permanently forgive that incident. There may be things that occur in the future, but you get to practice forgiveness again. It's not a done deal. It's something that we perhaps use every day. The third aspect about forgiveness defined is a cancellation of a punishment, a guilt, or a debt. A cancellation of a punishment, guilt, or debt. Sometimes we can forgive somebody and feel guilty that we did. Because, you know, we're not seeing justice served. And so we feel guilty that we've forgiven them. Or, or maybe we set a boundary that's godly and the right thing to do. And we feel, we feel guilty for setting the boundary. And so when you truly do forgive, you set boundaries because God has told you so. And then you walk forward in life. I want to read Matthew chapter 18. This is an illustration, a story that Jesus told, a parable, if you will, about uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness. And Peter, he, I guess he was probably wanting to impress Jesus, so he came one day, and we don't really have the background of why he blurted out this question, but he said, How many times should I forgive, Jesus? Seven? I mean, that's pretty generous of Peter, isn't it? I'd probably, if I were Peter, I'd probably say the same thing. Jesus, how many times should we forgive somebody? How about seven? That's a lot, isn't it? For one person, I would say so. It's a lot. And Jesus came back and said, 70 times 7. Whoa. Peter's like, shock. Wait a minute here. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, don't keep count. That's what he's saying. As many times as it's needed, you don't really keep track. Oh, I need to forgive this. Okay, I'm going to do it. It's not really keeping score in that way. And then Jesus went on to tell a parable and a story. And I want to I read it to you in, kind of in sections. And, and we're going to walk down through and then come back and kind of follow the outline if I get to the outline, no, just kidding, I'll get there, of some ways that we can look at forgiveness, perhaps in a way that we haven't before. I want to give credit to Craig Hill. I was watching a podcast of him a couple of weeks ago. He was talking on forgiveness, and some of the things that I'm sharing with uh, you really came from from uh, that um, that conversation that he was having regarding forgiveness. Let, let me jump in here and read Matthew 18, starting at uh, verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. As he began the settlements, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, that would be the equivalent today of about a million dollars or more. So the guy racked up a debt to his master of over a million dollars. Let's look and see what happens. He's got this debt. It says, who owed him uh, 10,000 talents was brought to him. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow, what if that were you? That'd be tough, wouldn't it? It, uh, He wasn't wasn't asking, uh, and so we're kind of going to see the response here of what takes place. Of, of, but just imagine for a moment if you racked up that kind of debt, and you know the bankers called and you you walk in and they're like, we're we're ready for payment and you don't have it, and they look at you and say, well we're going to take your wife and your kids and 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 all your you know hand furniture and uh, we're just going to clean out your house, and and pay off some of this debt so that uh, it can be made right. Uh, it'd be pretty rough, wouldn't it? Think about that. That's And yet they did that in the the day and time in which uh, Jesus was telling the story. Well, let's look and see what happened. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. There we go. He forgave him. He let him go. He canceled the debt and he let him go. Now think about it. If you owed a million dollars... And the person said, you, and first of all, you asked for, he, he wasn't at that point asking for um, um, forgiveness. He really was only asking for mercy, which is give me more time. Right. <laughs> give me more time to pay back a million dollars. And I haven't paid it back. incidentally, that, that if, you, if you get into the financial aspects, it probably would have taken him at the level of income. it probably would have taken him 20 years to pay it off. And yet this man, this master, said, "Canceled, Go free." He wasn't asking for that. He was asking for mercy. Let me work it out." The master took pity. He forgave him, and let him go. That's that's pretty major in my book. I don't know about yours, but but uh, that's pretty major. Let's continue reading. See what else happens. Verse 28. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be the equivalent of about five dollars, a day's wages. Versus 20 years payback. A day's wages. Five bucks. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had a man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt wow, this guy wasn't getting it, was he? Here he'd just been forgiven over 20 years of working to pay back a debt. He walked out and saw a fellow man, a fellow worker that owed him five bucks. Went to his throat, threw him in prison, and said, now you're going to pay me. How hard it is for us to forgive one another. Right? That's us at times. We say, God, thank you for forgiving me, but what about forgiving others? Pretty tough. Well, we continue reading, and somebody was watching. Verse 32. Verse 31. The other servants saw what had happened, and they were greatly distressed and went and told the master everything that had happened. I want you to understand that when you get into the kingdom of God, people start observing what you're doing. Out in the world, sometimes people aren't watching what you're doing, and sometimes they look the other way. And and, and sometimes in the church or in the kingdom, we get disgusted why people aren't, aren't uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, bringing the law to a situation, they're bringing popularity, they're bringing what's politically correct instead of administering by the law, and we get disgusted by that. But when you get into the kingdom of God, the king has a standard, and he has people watching. And so the servants were watching this whole thing happen, and they're like, this is not right. This guy was just forgiven a million dollars, and now he goes out and chokes somebody, throws him into prison for five So they go back and they tell the master what happened. Let's see how the master responds. Verse 32, the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he says, I canceled, I forgave all your debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And the expected answer is yes. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tormented until he paid back all that he owed. Verse 35, and this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow, let that one soak in. And yet, as I begin to walk down through what forgiveness is and how do we operate, it's actually going to be exciting that we can forgive and forgive others. Number two, when a wrong is committed, someone must pay. As I stated, that's in bread in each one of us, that we want justice done. We want the right thing done. We want the, the person that did the wrong to pay. That's how God is. That's how we are. And yet the fact is that God steps in and he pays the debt for us that we could never, ever, ever pay ourselves That's the central truth of the gospel. There's no one of us that could be righteous enough. There's no one of us that can get it right every time. We're going to mess up. Somebody's going to trip us up. Somebody's going to make us mad. Somebody's going to make us angry. Somebody's going to cut us off. Somebody is going to do something that will cause us to get into a place that we don't want to stay, and yet we realize this is not where God wants me. I've got to do something. Bring it to that place where he calls us to forgive. Now, this is the great news, is that when we commit sin, Jesus says, I'll pay. Now, that's amazing. He says, when you commit sin, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for you. That's what I've come for. That's what I'm doing. Let me read a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 1-7 says, He is so rich in kindness, listen to that, so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Wow, that's really good news. Hebrews 9:22 says in fact the law requires that nearly, nearly everything be cleansed with blood without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. None. We want to get our sins forgiven? We have to come to Jesus and he says I'll pay. That's great news. Then Romans 3:23 puts us in the place where, where we need to put. It. it says, "All have fallen, and uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God. God has a standard, it's 100 percent righteous, and we all fail. every one of us. And the reality is that we all need to be cleansed. The good news is that while we're in process Jesus keeps us because we have accepted him. If you have, you put your faith in him. He's forgiven you. When we're in process, when we have a weak moment, when we have a crisis in our life, and we're grudging somebody or holding resentment or trying to get back, even though we're in that bad place, he still holds our place of being 100% righteous before the Father. Now, that's a hard thing to understand. Let me give you a picture. That is this yardstick. If you felt like you could maybe be a 14 of righteousness today, who's going to fill up the gap of 100% if Jesus had returned today and you go to the Father and you, he would say, why should I accept you? And you say, because I've received the blood of Jesus in place of my sin. He would say, walk in. But you were having a bad moment. Maybe you chewed somebody up. Maybe you, uh, again, maybe you had a moment where, where you just got torqued off of somebody. And before you got repented of, does that mean that you're less saved? No, you're fully saved. Because Jesus makes up the difference. He keeps you at 100% all the time. Even in our weakness, even in our frailties, even in our moments. He keeps us. His blood was that sufficient. He keeps us totally at 36. The needle doesn't move. And it's rough for us to understand that at times, but that's a reality of how completely he has forgiven you. The needle's at 100%, doesn't wiggle, doesn't move. The wind can't blow it away. It stays there. It is written. We're having bad days, but Jesus isn't. And so we have to remember that when we get to the place of starting to forgive others of how much we have been forgiven. We have been given, forgiven a million dollars worth, so to speak, and that's pale compared to the reality of what we've done and how we've been forgiven. Let me give you a verse. 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Now notice how this is written. It doesn't say that he atoned for our sacrifice. It literally says that he is atoning, I-N-G, current right now for you and I. He is atoning sacrifice. Not atoned, atoning. He did atone, but he's also atoning. Good stuff, right? Yeah. All right. When others commit to sin against us, We forgive from what's been given to us. I don't really know if it's possible for someone without Christ to truly forgive from the heart. I don't see how that's possible. But once we know Christ and we know how we've been forgiven, then there's no reason that we can't forgive other people because God has deposited within us Forgiveness. And therefore, it's not our own forgiveness that we are forgiving someone else. It's the forgiveness of Jesus that has been deposited within us. And so therefore, we are only passing along what he has deposited in us in the first place. So there's nothing coming out of us. It's what he filled us with and the reality that we walk in that when we get the opportunity to forgive someone else, it should be easy for us because we have this overflowing deposit that comes and keeps on coming. Whoo! I'm setting you up here, but it's good news. The end result is God's forgiveness in us is being transferred to others. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Period. Pretty clear. Number three, when you forgive. What happens when you forgive? Romans 12.19 says, Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. It is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 19. So when you forgive, you are actually stepping out of the way to give God a chance to step in the way or in position that you were in through unforgiveness. And because you were in that position, God couldn't move. He couldn't work. You wanted justice, but in forgiveness, you actually step out of the way so that he can step in that place and release what he wants, his mercy and grace that couldn't happen before because you're there and your unforgiveness is there. That's the reality of of what we've been handed and how we need to move. We actually step out of the way so he can step in the way. Here's a thought, and again, I borrowed this from Craig When you forgive, you exercise your identity, and that identity should be in Christ. You exercise your identity instead of enforcing your idolatry of the flesh. You actually exercise your identity in Christ rather than enforce your idolatry in the flesh. So what is that? It means that somebody has done you wrong. Somebody has hurt you. They, it, it, we can't pretend it didn't happen. It did. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, nothing ever happened. That's, that's a lie. Something did happen. You're acknowledging that it did happen. And so what happens if you don't forgive, then you keep hurt and revenge and, 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 uh, and resentment, basically you make that into an idol in your heart. And you circulate that in your heart. That's what you focus on. You focus on how much they did you wrong, how much they hurt you, how much you'd like to take them out, how much you'd like them to get creamed. I mean, that's what you focus on. And you've just created an idol in your heart that you are nursing and unforgiveness takes that idol out and puts Jesus in. That's good stuff, isn't it? So you exercise your identity instead of reinforcing your adultery. You soften your heart and remove your hardness. Because unforgiveness gives you a hard heart. This guy that was just forgiven a million dollars, it hadn't filtered down to his heart. I don't even know if it was in his head yet. He probably just went, wow. So you softens your heart. It doesn't mean that something didn't happen. Absolutely, something did happen. But you choose to let it go. You choose to let it go. Unforgiveness builds hardness. What does hardness look like? Here's some possibilities. Hardness looks like frequent anger. Hardness looks like thoughts of revenge. Hardness looks like sarcasm. Hardness looks like avoiding intimate conversations. Hardness oftentimes happens in unexplained sicknesses. Hardness. That's not what God wants. That's not what you want. The next point I have is that start trusting God again and remove the triggers of the flesh. Start trusting God again. When you forgive, you trust God. I trust God with that situation. I trust God with how it's going to work out. God, if you need me to participate, let me know. But I am stepping out so that you can step in. I'm putting you at the place where you can work, and I am getting on the sidelines. And so we realize that uh, we all have... You know, triggers that bring us back in. And as we trust God, the triggers happen less. I've experienced that in my life. And if you've truly forgiven, you probably have as well. Number four, forgiveness is a choice that starts a process. Forgiveness is a choice that starts a process. It's not one and done. I forgive you, walk away, we're all good. That's not how it works. If you've had some deep things happen to you in the area of people hurting you, you know that's not how it works. It's not one and done, forgive you, walk away. No, it's a choice, and then it's a process that starts after the choice is made. I remember in my previous church, there was a a gal, that were best friends with another gal, and they were... uh, something happened, I don't know what happened, but I remember one of the ladies came to me and she said, you know, we had this tiff and, and now we're not friends anymore, but God spoke to me about forgiving her. And I'm like, great, you need to do it. And so she did. She forgave her and she came to me about a week later and she said, you know, I've forgiven her, but I don't feel like I have. And so she said, I, I recognized it about myself and I sat with God and God says, well, you need to do something to show that you've forgiven her. And so that's what she did. She did something that was meaningful to the other person that she had just forgiven, and as a result of putting something into action, some favor the person didn't deserve, suddenly the feelings changed, and now they're back best friends again. Now obviously the other person had to be receptive, but the one that forgave had to then take initiative to do something. And as a result, the feelings begin to change. Again, who should we forgive? Everyone. Everyone. What should we forgive? Anything. <laughs> Not the big stuff, the little stuff too. It all adds up. When should we forgive? Anytime. Anytime. Anytime God reveals it. Forgive. Why should we forgive? Because you have been forgiven. That's a why. Because we've been forgiven. That's the way it works. Now, I've been talking mostly about first-hand encounters with someone. That somebody does you wrong. And you're singing the song, you know. Somebody done me wrong song. You're singing the song. And so... But there's two other traps that we can get caught in. And oftentimes these two are the ones that we don't think about, but they're just as real and maybe even more deadly than firsthand. And that is a second hand offense. That means that somebody like a parent, uh, uh, you know, a child does something and a parent takes a second-hand offense because of what was done to the child. Or maybe a good friend and something was done to them and you say that's wrong or something happened at work and you take on this second-hand offense. It didn't happen to you, but it happened to somebody you love and therefore you are offended and you're, 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 you're uh, uh, identifying the person that was was done and you are mad and you have not forgiven the person that did something to your friend. That's a deadly one. Because sometimes those two people can get things worked out and you don't hear about it. And then you're stuck. You're still in unforgiveness about what they did to your friend or son or daughter or spouse or whatever and they're free and you're not. It's deadly. The third aspect that we can get hung up on is a corporate offense. How many people have heard somebody say, the church hurt me. I was hurt by the church. Right? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, maybe you feel that. Alright, so let's just walk into that a little bit. Did the whole church hurt you? Probably not. Did individuals within that church do things that hurt you? Probably so. Did you take a second-hand offense in that church for somebody else that you thought were treated wrong? Probably so. So the corporate offense is an accumulation of the individual and the second-hand, and pretty soon you got a corporate offense on the whole organization or the whole church, and the way that you dismantle that is you go back to the very first person in that organization or church that hurt you, and you forgive, and you unwind this web that the enemy has wound you up in. And you can't move because you're in this web of first-hand and second-hand offenses and now you're at a place where the whole organization hates me and I hate them. That's a tough place to be. I've known people that are like that. Actually, the Lord just kind of gave me the revelation that the way you dismantle corporate is you go back to the individual, and you've probably taken some secondhand along the way, and all that's piled up to where you say the church hate me or hurt me. And so again, these are ways the enemy works to just bring into your attention so that you can recognize, maybe in your own life or maybe in the life of somebody else, to help them get free. Number five, forgiveness after care. What happens after we forgive? Matthew 18:35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Not just say the words, but actually are willing to put action to it. To actually go, what, what is appropriate in the setting, unless you forgive from your heart. In other words, so he's giving instructions into this, the, the, uh, the disciples' future. He's really telling him we're entering into the future. He just told us uh, an example about two servants, and they responded different ways. And then he said, now let's walk into the future. That my heavenly father is going to treat you in the way that you forgive others. Now we oftentimes don't like to think that way, but that's what the scripture says. He says it here. He says it in two other places that I think of, one in John and one in Matthew. Same thing. He says, you forgive, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. You don't forgive, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. There's something tied to what we understand of what we've received and what we give out. And yet sometimes we have a a disconnect. So a couple of points under aftercare. There's never a time not to receive or extend forgiveness. There's never a time not to. Forgiving allows the hurt and the hate to leave. If you don't forgive, then the hurt and hate stays. It becomes an idol. You begin to nurse it. It stays there. God can't work because you're in the way. Your unforgiveness is in the way. The third thing is it causes, boy, this is big, it causes your mind to work redemptively. See, before, you can't even think of the possibility of reconciliation or maybe peace in your heart or maybe to think that that some other way justice could be brought to that situation that you were involved in, and now God says, forgive, you have to step back, and you have to allow God to then direct that situation that before you were doing it. And that takes humility to step back And say, no, let's let the law do this. Or let's let another person step in. I'm out. I'm going to take a position of prayer and trust in God. And then you begin to think redemptively, such as, well, maybe we could be friends again. Maybe our relationship could be reconciled. Maybe God could actually heal that other person that I didn't think could before, but maybe he really could. I mean, he says he's the God of the impossible. Maybe he could do an impossible thing and put us back together. You begin to think redemptively, and you can't think redemptively before unless you've forgiven. It's just not possible. So then, the last thing on aftercare is it releases you to set peaceful boundaries. There's times that boundaries need to be set. I say peaceful boundaries in a sense of recognizing this needs to be established, whether it's an emotional boundary or whether it's a physical boundary, this needs to be established so that God can do his work. I just mess it up, but he's an amazing God that can do things much more creatively and much more thoroughly and much more lovingly than I can do. And so the boundaries need to be put in place. Again, for ongoing situations where there might be abuse or, 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 or hurtful things happening on a daily basis, you can forgive on a daily basis, but then there may need to be boundaries set in place. And the Holy Spirit is an amazing counselor to be able to help you to do that. And, and there's also amazing counselors in the church of people that God has put around you to give, uh, to pray for you and give you some thoughts according to the Word of God. The Word of God's an amazing counselor. So this is what the Word of God says to do. Therefore, I'm gonna do it and put it into place. So, just a recap here forgiveness and freedom. Get refreshed on how much God has forgiven you. You're having a tough time forgiving somebody, get refreshed. Go into his word. Pray. God, show me how much you have forgiven me. And I guarantee you, when he begins to show you through Scripture or maybe just through his Spirit communicating to you, you're going to realize, wow, it is way more than a million dollars. And he just wiped it away in an instant. So get refreshed on how much God has forgiven you. Then second, understand that you are only passing along what you have received from God it's not coming from you it came from him deposited in your life and now you're passing it along to others here's the third recap if you don't forgive then you're going to carry the baggage yourself when you don't forgive you're actually linked into the soul of that other person And what they are thinking and feeling is coming into you. But when you forgive, you actually snap that soul tie in between you and that other person. Again, so that God can work and you can be free. That other person may not ever get free, but you can be free. I picture it like having a a book bag full of just baggage, hurts, and pains, and, and things that people have done to me. And I walk up to a river. Let's say the, the river's flowing down this aisle, and I have this book bag, and I get into the middle of the river, and it's, it's waist high. I can handle the current, and I take off my book bag, and I put it in the water behind me, and the current carries that book bag of hurts and pains and resentment. It carries it away from me, and I'm sitting here receiving fresh water with no baggage it's a great way to live finally when you forgive you're not just giving mercy you're canceling a debt you're not just when you forgive you're not just saying I'm gonna give you time to work this out you're actually saying what you what you've done to me right now the effects of what you've done to me I am letting it go. And then God starts to heal your heart, soften your heart, cause you to think differently in ways that you never thought before. You didn't even think they were possible because you're all clogged up with the unforgiveness. But when you say, I'm going to let it go. I don't want to carry it. I don't want to think that way. I am so grateful for what God has done to me for me, therefore I'm just going to pass on just a small bit. Usually that's all it's needed. A small bit of the total forgiveness that He's given us. Small bit. Five dollars worth. But it's enough. It's enough. I don't know if you need to forgive somebody today. We're going to take some time and just allow the Holy Spirit to show you if there's anybody and we're going to say a prayer together and then we're going to get ready for baptisms gonna be awesome Wow what a day Heavenly Father I pray that as we close our eyes bow our heads just get in a place of saying Lord speak to me if there's any person in my life that I need to forgive Lord, you desire us to walk in freedom, not that we've been forgiven, but that we forgive others in the way you've forgiven us. So Holy Spirit, I invite you to bring to mind anyone that I need to forgive, we need to forgive, you need to forgive. Maybe just one or two that need to be a long list. pray this prayer I invite you to freely participate dear heavenly father because I've been forgiven in Christ Jesus I now choose to forgive and you can whisper their name for what they did to me or my loved one I release them this day from my judgment and I place them into your justice I release the hate the resentment the revenge in my heart come and soften my heart towards them and give me guidance of how to relate to them in the future thank you for Jesus for paying for my forgiveness by shedding his own blood I now extend that same forgiveness to others that you would show me I desire to live free of offense and into forgiveness